Biden administration drops their appeal on the use of copay accumulators. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services releases a final rule on prior authorization. And Congress kicks the proverbial can down the road on government funding with another continuing resolution. For the week of January 22nd, 2024, from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., this is Health on the Hill, brought to you by Heart Health Strategies. I'm Matt Duckworth. Pursuant to Clause 8 of Rule 20, the unfinished business of the vote on the motion of the gentlewoman from Texas, Ms. Granger, to suspend the rules and concur in the Senate amendments to H.R. 2872. Kicking off this week's episode with news from Capitol Hill, where Congress successfully passed another two-step stopgap spending bill last week. The measure extends funding deadlines for federal agencies from January 19th and February 2nd to March 1st and March 8th, respectively. The Senate passed the bill in a 77-18 to 18 vote on Thursday. The continuing resolution was approved by the House of Representatives in a 314 to 108 vote hours later and signed by President Joe Biden on Friday. House Speaker Mike Johnson had previously pledged to not pass any additional temporary spending measures, and nearly half of the House Republican Conference voted against the bill in opposition to the Speaker's deal-making with Congressional Democrats and in demand of immigration and border security policy changes. Last week, prior to passage of the continuing resolution, congressional leadership announced a bipartisan agreement on a $1.66 trillion top-line spending cap for fiscal year 2024, and lawmakers hope the latest continuing resolution will provide enough time to negotiate the details of the 12 annual appropriations bills. Congress faces an effective April 30th deadline to pass appropriations for fiscal year 2024, due to a provision included in the most recent debt ceiling compromise, which would impose an automatic, across-the-board spending cut, should a continuing resolution still be in place at that time. House Republican leadership have announced a change to the chamber's schedule for next month, deciding to cut their February recess short and hold votes February 18th through March 1st. Can I kick it? 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 The prior authorization, of course, gets added to the other list of burdens that everyone in private practice or uh, uh, private practice of medicine well understands. It is, you know, it's not going to be the straw that broke the camel's back, but it's just, it's such an unnecessary step. And Shifting think- to news from the administration today where the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services released its final rule on advancing interoperability and improving prior authorization processes last week. The regulation would impose new requirements aimed at enhancing the electronic exchange of healthcare data and improving the prior authorization process. Provisions in the final rule apply to Medicare Advantage organizations state Medicaid and children's health insurance program fee-for-service programs, Medicaid-managed care plans, CHIP-managed care entities, and qualified health plan issuers on the federally facilitated exchanges. The rule requires impacted payers to implement an HL7-FHIR patient access application programming interface, 
a provider access API, a payer-to-payer API, and a prior authorization API. It also includes provisions to require impacted payers to send prior authorization decisions within 72 hours for urgent requests and seven calendar days for standard requests to provide a specific reason for denied prior authorization decisions and to publicly report certain prior authorization metrics on an annual basis. The regulation also adds a new electronic prior authorization measure for merit-based incentive payment system eligible clinicians and hospitals, including critical access hospitals. The regulation was praised by the congressional champions of the Improving Seniors Timely Access to Care Act, who stated that the regulation will, quote, make a big difference in helping seniors access the medical care they are entitled to without unnecessary delays and denials, unquote. Representative Susan Del Bene, a Democrat from Washington, explained that although the rule addresses many of the things that were in the bill, there are areas where CMS, quote, could have gone further, especially in terms of speed of decision-making, unquote. She and the other bill sponsors plan to review the final rule and, quote, see what else we can do legislatively to not only solidify and codify what is in the rule, but also look at what we can do to try to increase speed of responses, unquote. Mr. President, while the 10 largest drug companies made over $112 billion in profits last year, and while they pay their CEOs exorbitant compensation packages, one out of four Americans cannot afford to pay for the medicine they need, and thousands of families... That was the voice of the chairman of the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee in the Senate which is set to vote on January 31st to authorize an investigation into the high cost of prescription drugs. The panel will also vote on subpoenaing the CEOs of Johnson & Johnson and Merck to testify about why the manufacturers charge, quote, substantially higher prices for medicine in the U.S. compared to other countries, unquote. Chairman Sanders, an independent from Vermont who caucuses with Senate Democrats, will need a majority of his panel to vote in support of the subpoenas. If he is successful, it will be the first time the committee has subpoenaed anyone in more than 40 years. This vertical integration has allowed them to continue to drive up patient costs and increase their own profits. One way they do this is through the use of copay accumulator schemes that health plans and PBMs use to pocket a patient's copay assistance by excluding the cost-sharing assistance from counting toward a patient's deductible or out-of-pocket minimum. Some news from the courts today where the Biden administration has dropped its previous appeal of an October U.S. District Court decision to strike down a 2021 rule allowing copay accumulators. The decision was praised by many lawmakers on Capitol Hill, including Senators Tim Kaine, a Democrat from Virginia, and Roger Marshall, a Republican from Kansas, and Representatives Buddy Carter, a Republican from Georgia who you just heard, and Nanette Berrigan, a Democrat from California, along with Marionette Miller-Meeks, a Republican from Iowa, who had urged the administration to drop its appeal and introduced the Help Copays Act, which would prohibit the use of copay accumulator programs. Nineteen states have already acted to ban copay accumulator adjustment programs.
here's the reason that we're all here. Telehealth saves money and improves outcomes. It is the future of healthcare. Increasingly, consumers are going to demand modern technology, which leads to better outcomes and to lower costs. But that was the voice of Senator Brian Schatz, a Democrat from Hawaii who's leading a bipartisan group of senators in a letter sent to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services urging the administration to work with Congress to ensure that all Medicare beneficiaries have permanent access to telehealth services. Temporary COVID-era waivers expanding access to telehealth are currently set to expire on December 31st of 2024. The letter urges Secretary Javier Becerra to communicate to Congress and the public the authorities, appropriations, resources, and other supports needed to enact permanent telehealth legislation. The lawmakers also encourage HHS to solicit information from stakeholders to address any outstanding implementation questions related to permanent policy. We are actually going to find, create, and accelerate high-impact health solutions to well-defined problems. If an ARP is successful and it does that, it actually also demonstrates what health futures are possible for all. Moving on today, where the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health, or ARPA-H, has launched a program to increase access to early disease detection and hospital-level care in rural areas of the country. The Platform Accelerating Rural Access to Distributed and Integrated Medical Care, or Paradigm Program, aims to support the development of mobile health units to extend the reach of rural hospitals. A forthcoming Paradigm Program solicitation will solicit proposals from a wide range of applicants with proposals for bringing advanced medical services to underserved rural populations throughout the country. More information about the Paradigm Program and the scheduled Proposers Day to be held the week of February 12th can be found on the ARPA-H website. Thanks uh, for joining us today. Today, the FDA has taken an important step in addressing one of the most significant gaps in the U.S. healthcare system, the safety and effectiveness of laboratory-developed tests, or LDTs. That was the voice of the Commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, whose agency, along with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services last week, issued a joint statement reiterating mutual support for FDA oversight of the analytical and clinical validity of laboratory-developed tests, or LDTs. The statement acknowledges the concerns that have been raised about the safety and effectiveness of LDTs and responds to the suggestion that these concerns should be addressed through the expansion of the Clinical Laboratory Improvement Amendments of 1988, or CLIA. The statement reads, quote, The FDA and CMS have long stood together in mutual support of FDA oversight of the analytical and clinical validity of LDTs. It goes on to say, Applying the same oversight approach to laboratories and non-laboratories that manufacture tests would better assure the safety and effectiveness of LDTs and would remove a disincentive for non-laboratory manufacturers to develop novel tests that can be available to and used by many laboratories for many patients. Unquote. Final news today, where Representative Jeff Duncan, a Republican from South Carolina, announced his retirement from Congress last week. Duncan was first elected to Congress in 2010 and currently sits on the Energy and Commerce Committee. 
In related news, House Energy and Commerce Committee Chair Kathy McMorris-Rogers, a Republican from Washington, announced the selection of Representative Buddy Carter, a Republican pharmacist from Georgia, to replace Representative Bill Johnson of Ohio as chair of the Environment, Manufacturing, and Critical Materials Subcommittee. Johnson resigned from Congress effective this week to start as president at Youngstown State University. A running list of members of Congress who are retiring or seeking other office can be found in our weekly written policy briefing on the news page of our website at www.hhs.com. The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the Ways and Means Committee organizing meeting for the 118th Congress. The Committee on Energy and Commerce will come to order. The chair recognizes herself for an opening statement. Um, And it's a pleasure to bring together the first meeting of the Finance Committee in the 118th Congress. Good morning. The Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions will come to order. All right. We end each week's episode with the call to order. Are we lightning round congressional meetings and hearings in the near future that you need to know about? First, on Tuesday, January 23rd at 2.30 p.m., the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Intellectual Property holds a hearing to examine the Patient Eligibility Restoration Act, focusing on restoring clarity, certainty, and predictability to the U.S. patent system. Second, on Wednesday, January 24th at 10 a.m., the Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works hosts an oversight hearing to examine the Toxic Substances Control Act Amendment's implementation. Third, on Thursday, January 25th at 10 a.m., the Senate Special Committee on Aging convenes the hearing, Assisted Living Facilities, Understanding Long-Term Care Options for Older Adults. Fourth, on Monday, January 29th at 3.30 p.m., the House Veterans Affairs Subcommittee on Technology Modernization gavels in a hearing titled, The Future of Data Privacy and Artificial Intelligence at the VA. And last, on Wednesday, January 31st at 11 a.m., the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, or HELP Committee, will hold an executive session to authorize an investigation into the high costs of prescription drugs for patients in the United States compared to other countries. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of Health on the Hill, brought to you by Heart Health Strategies. For more information on this week's healthcare happenings in the administration and on Capitol Hill, you can visit our website at hhs.com and click on the news section at the top of the page. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Did we miss a story you wanted to hear this week? If so, email me at mduckworth at hhs.com, and we may include it in our next episode. Have a great week, and stay healthy. Stay healthy.